This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Tuesday, September 6th, we wish you a good day. Ryan Jesperson here with John Hicks on our first show post-Labor Day. We know that we're going to be seeing some of you again for the first time in a long time as your summers have officially wrapped up. The kids are back in school and you're getting back into your regular routines. Welcome back. Uh, We're looking forward to a strong fall here on the show that will include a move to a new studio, some exciting new features and continued coverage of the stories that matter to Canadians. Typically, we'd open a show like this talking about our Labor Day long weekends. What we did as we got away, as we squeezed the last little bit about our summers. But it just feels like the entire nation's hearts are broken, doesn't it? Right now, all eyes on the province of Saskatchewan as police, Regina police, the RCMP, of course, continue their manhunt to track down a man accused of killing at least 10 people injuring at least 18 more. His name is Miles Sanderson. His brother, Damien, as you know by now, discovered dead on the James Smith Cree Nation, which is where many of these random attacks occurred uh, just a couple of days ago, starting in the early hours of September 4th. In just a moment, we're going to talk to Rob Clark, who's a former RCMP sergeant. He's a former member of parliament, as a matter of fact, and he's a member of Muskeg Lake First Nation. He's organized a GoFundMe, a fundraiser, a grassroots fundraiser that is closing in on its goal of $100,000. This has raised 90000 plus. Rob says this is for funerals and counseling assistance uh, for victims and their families. We're going to talk to him about his involvement uh, with this tragic story. He knows uh, at least one of the people Uh, that were killed in this random stabbing attack. And and Rob's going to talk to us about his perspective, obviously a multifaceted perspective as a former police officer, as a former politician at the federal level, and of course as an Indigenous person himself. Uh, Rob Clark coming up in just a few moments. Charles Adler will be joining us later in the day. We'll take a look at Britain's new Prime Minister. Liz Truss has sworn in after Boris Johnson officially resigned. She's met with the Queen and she'll be delivering her first address to to Britons and, of course, to international citizens as well that will be curious to get to know Britain's new prime minister a little bit. She's got a big job ahead of her, obviously, cost of living, a huge issue in Britain, as is food security, as is energy security. And people want to know what is the new PM's plan. We'll also take a look at the United Conservative Party leadership race as that essentially winds down. In Alberta, the first votes started coming in as of Friday, this past Friday, a few days ago, and that'll remain open. People are mailing in these ballots all the way through till October 3rd, so a bit of a waiting game there. Of course, we're also just a few days away from finding out who's going to be the next leader of the Federal Conservative Party of Canada, and we've got some great interviews lined up with pundits, including Paul Wells, as we figure out who will lead the official opposition uh, against the federal liberals and that coalition they have with the NDP. What will this mean? The the outcome of this leadership race, Pierre Polyev, everybody's assuming, 
for federal politics over the next number of years. Because, of course, we took Monday off as a stat, it means we'll be bringing you an edition, a Tuesday edition of Positive Reflections. And because it is Tuesday, we'll focus on innovation, an amazing story in the spotlight of the leading edge today. So we've got a jam-packed show, your emails to come as well. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. I appreciate Joy, for example, who just sent us an email uh, just this morning, about an hour and a half before we went live on the air, and she's got some thoughts about this tragedy in Saskatchewan and how it's being reported and where the general public's priorities are, the details we care about in stories like these. And Joy makes a really good point. You can send us an email anytime. Our inbox is obviously open 24 hours a day at talk at ryanjesperson.com. Before we get to Rob Clark, former member of Parliament, former RCMP member, I want to remind you about deadlines that are approaching with the Covenant Foundation Lottery. Now, this is a lottery that's been running for the last 30 years, and it's it's translated into 30 years of life-changing wins in support of health care in the province of Alberta. Thanks to you, Covenant Health has been at the forefront of technological innovation. It's become a leader in palliative and urgent care, but they need your help to make a difference for patients and their loved ones, uh, to help people in the community relying on life-changing care that Covenant Health provides. Here's where you can come in. I mean, you go to covenantfoundationlottery.ca or you give them a call at one 2774 That's where you can get your tickets to win this $2.2 million grand prize dream home. Four bedrooms, five bathrooms, three car garage, fully furnished, ready to move in. The final deadline to get your tickets for this dream home are November 3rd. Don't wait till then. Buy your tickets today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that they've got a great event coming up the first of several tomorrow. If you're listening to this show the day that we're doing it, tomorrow, which is September 7th, it's going to be the first event. They're healthy inside events. They're starting up again this month in Edmonton and Fort Saskatchewan. They're proud to host experts in their field, sharing knowledge on ways that we can gain a better understanding of our bodies and how we can support them to be the best they can be. The event is $25 per person, includes a glass of wine, a charcuterie spread, and 15% off Friesen Brothers Healthy Choice or Health and Beauty Departments during that evening. Bookings are now open at Friesen.com. And our friends at Local Environmental Services want to remind you, whether you're living in Alberta or Saskatchewan, you can keep it local when it comes to addressing your needs, business or residential, perhaps a personal need for bins, water hauling, recycling services, fencing, portable toilets, vacuum truck. They do it all, but they believe that you deserve better than just garbage service better service better prices and more support for local causes if you're listening from saskatchewan or alberta check out localenvironmental.ca today well the entire nation with eyes on saskatchewan as a manhunt continues uh, for an individual accused in the stabbing deaths of at least 10 people at least 18 more injured we're talking about miles sanderson 
who remains on the run. Regina's police chief, Evan Bray, has been providing updates on this manhunt, the most recent one just hours before we're recording this show. Here's the latest, a video update from Regina's police chief. This is Evan Bray. We're continuing to operate under the assumption that he is here until we get information that indicates otherwise. And I think the question that's on a lot of people's minds today is now that the long weekend is coming to an end, school is returning tomorrow for students, what does that look like in terms of community safety? I think there's a couple of things we have to remember. There were very violent incidents that happened yesterday in northern Saskatchewan. However, since then, no more violence has occurred. There has been no repeat of that violence in our community, and there's no indication of a threat of violence happening in our city. Also, no youth or children were targeted in those violent attacks that happened yesterday as well. Having said that, Miles is still at large and still considered considered to be armed and dangerous. Regina's police chief Evan Bray just hours ago. Rob Clark is a former RCMP member, a sergeant, a former member of parliament as well, representing the Conservative Party of Canada in Saskatchewan. He's a band member of Muskeg Lake First Nation joining us live this morning. Rob, thanks for making time for us this morning. Can you give us a sense of where your head and, and where your heart is at? This is a story, obviously, that's broken the heart of a nation. Well, this is devastating. Um, this is this has caused like I, I come out and I'm really public about my PTSD, um, especially with the with other instances that took place in my career and during my lifetime. I'm just mourning. I'm hurting. I'm angry. I'm disappointed. Um, there's just so many emotions going through. I, um, I don't know. Some days I just don't know which way is up uh, just because of and then when this happened and seeing individuals that I know and that I care about and friendship friends that are, have been affected and former for employee that I had uh, passing away from the wounds. I, I was just at a loss and just angry and upset over the whole situation of, I just feel that myself, uh, could this have been prevented? Yes. Um, but I think um, the main thing is that people need to come together to talk about this. And if you don't talk about it, um, there's no healing process. Uh, Robert, are you talking about Lana Head? Uh, your former uh, correct. Can, can you tell us a bit about Lana? I don't want to speak out on the family, but she was a, she was always uh, a caring person. Uh, she came forward. Um, she wanted needed some employment, and I just have a security company. And she always showed up with work at, with a big smile. She was always upbeat and joyous. Uh, we went through some pretty major incidences, like in a forest fire, where they had to monitor an evacuation. And she was professional. Just watching her, I'd, I'd see her at work at other venues, and we'd always have a great chat to catch up. Um, there's not much more you can say. I think she was an individual uh, that when she put on a security uniform, or even she was proud of the job, and she was proud of what she was able to do after she left uh, my company. Hmm. You've served the public in, in a number of different capacities uh, right now can you give us a sense of 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 
what's going on. I mean, obviously, there's a bit of speculation here. I'm not suggesting that that you're in the room uh, with, you know, senior RCMP officials or Regina police uh, detectives or whoever would be quarterbacking this this manhunt. But but with regards to public safety, with regards to the, the reality that there's somebody presumed to be alive and still on the loose, um, what are police doing right now? Based on your experience with the RCMP, what's happening uh, behind the scenes? What sort of resources are being leveraged? What sort of cooperation is happening? What sort of stop gaps might be in place? Can you, can you give us a sense of how you suspect this is being handled right now? Well, boots on the ground. Uh, we have the shooting in spirit with us, boots on the ground. You have a command center and you have a lot of individuals working different aspects from telecommunications to uh, individuals going out doing the interviews. Um, just with technology today, there's, there's got to be a lot of uh, video being reviewed on a, a minute-by-minute basis. As uh, information tracking, uh, you, individuals treat, if a vigil is missing or can't be located, then they're being treated as a risk until that person is in, or individual is located, arrested, or who knows what else might, might happen to that individual. Uh, but he's treated as a as a risk. He's and a community threat, and and they're trying to make sure that the general public is aware that he is at risk, and basically educating the public at, at the best that they can um, as things progress and change. Uh, policing or instances uh, can change in a different direction at any time or at any moment. Rob, so, we we've seen some messages posted from. Uh, hospital staff, uh, including those in ICUs, uh, emergency physicians and the like. Obviously, people are comparing a a code orange event like this, a mass casualty event like this uh, to the Humboldt Broncos bus crash uh, several years ago. You have been an advocate for people that have worked as first responders, for people that are living with PTSD. Can you give us some insight into what law enforcement and healthcare and other workers are experiencing right now working uh, a mass casualty event, uh, a tragedy with a magnitude like this? Well, you don't have time to reflect on the incident right at hand. You're, you're providing the service, the service that you, whatever chosen profession you went into. It's when you sit back and then you start going through the debriefings and, and talking about the incidents or or say if another incident takes place that sort of matches it, you don't know how it's going to affect you. Uh, for myself, it's the sound of sirens going off or for a police car. That's the triggering mechanism for me or some violence on TV or the loss or, of a police officer um, being shot or killed in the line of duty. Those are my triggering mechanisms. I don't but the trigger mechanism is different from the first responders having to do the triage or to the doctors or the nurses on different aspects. Um, you just never know when it's going to hit you. You think you're fine. And then next minute you're just, you're in a dark room or your, your anxiety level escalates and it's uh, and you can't control it. And I think that's the biggest issue. Uh, the main thing is going out there, getting the help, and as, and as the communities, uh, the individuals in the communities uh, realizing that, and coming from government, 
you always look at the funding's never there, always shows up, they say, or they send their condolences and it's, it's heartfelt condolences. You don't want anyone or any community to go through this hurt or pain. But as time goes by, uh, it's forgotten. People, other people, they move on. But the people there, they can't move on. Um, they need the help. They need to get the the assistance, they need the follow-ups. Uh, I still get follow-ups myself and it's been years since uh, I've been involved in some critical instances such as the shooting in Spearwood or the terrorist attack in Ottawa. Uh, these, these are life experiences and at any time you can be triggered. Rob, we do not know at this point what motivated these two men uh, to to attack these innocent people at random across multiple locations on the James Smith Cree Nation uh, and the nearby village of Weldon, Saskatchewan, with a Saskatchewan with a, with a population of about two hundred people. Uh, we've seen some uh, heart wrenching comments from uh, grieving family members and from community members, in particular, uh, on the James Smith Cree Nation, who have talked about uh, the infiltration. They say of, of drugs and alcohol into that community. Um, they say it's an epidemic. I was watching yesterday interviews uh, on virtually all of the national news channels with community members pleading for assistance in, in a horrible turn of irony. One of the at least one of the murder victims was an addictions counselor in that community. Um, and her partner uh, resigned his position, a similar job, before speaking to the media and talking about the crisis that this community faces. Uh, you've worked at the highest level of politics and federal politics, representing the Conservative Party out of Saskatchewan. What do you think needs to happen that's not happening already? Again, acknowledging we do not know what motivated these attacks, but we've heard heart-wrenching testimony from community members what do the different levels of politicians and, and even the general public need to do? People need to channel their grief or their rage or their heartbreak in some direction. Where should we start? Well, this is a human issue. It's a crime. This is a crime against humanity. Uh, we have to focus on that. But I think what we need to do is also engage the stakeholders and have a meaningful dialogue about prevention. You've had First Nation leaders, and I've seen letters going forward to the Minister of, of Indigenous or Affairs, Aboriginal Affairs, that's when I was sitting, um, going to the Minister, asking for help for, especially during the COVID epidemic, um, asking for help, asking for extra funding, and the letters weren't being responded to. The Minister wasn't responding back to those, those concerns of mental health. Uh, could this have been prevented? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. It's just frustrating seeing silence from an, from it, from government, uh, not listening to the concerns of uh, community leadership when they're taking the time to write the letters. That's what I find that's frustrating. Um, so that part is sad. Um, could this have been prevented specifically on James Smith? Crime violence and gangs and drugs since I when since I've been in the RCMP has only just increased and individuals are not uh, there's good community members trying their hardest such as the addictions workers 
But when you're strapped for funding and you're trying to operate on a shoestring budget, you can't. Rob, you've, well, you're, one of the ways I, I think that you're doing what you can here is to establish a, a GoFundMe uh, fundraiser. We've been, we've been putting the web address up on the screen. For people that are listening on the podcast, it's, it's relatively easy to find. GoFundMe.com slash F slash funerals dash and dash counseling. We'll, we'll push that uh, web address out from our official Twitter account at Real Talk RJ if people want to neatly and quickly click on it. You, you hope to raise $100,000 for funerals and counseling expenses for community members within the James Smith Cree Nation. You've already raised ninety two grand. I mean, this is happening quickly. Uh, can you talk to us a bit about the GoFundMe? Well, I, I was uh, having dinner and I was just overwhelmed with like with this grief and I've seen other individuals start GoFundMe pages and what I was seeing uh, in the past is these fraudulent individuals creating GoFundMe pages or emails please send me money to this email address and or please I'm creating one without any and they have no ties or no uh, knowledge of the community and their miles are provinces apart and they're creating these accounts um, I know the community um, I know the individuals and this is only my way of trying to figure out how to help uh, all the funds from GoFundMe are with GoFundMe it doesn't nothing's going to be coming to me or to my bank accounts um, I got to sit down and or speak with the leadership or whoever they want to designate and create a bank account for them where the monies can be put into the account. But you just can't sit around and wait for government or wait for uh, individuals for government funding to look after the, the finances or because funerals cost 10,000. And that's why I was trying to base this fundraising was on the cost of funerals. Uh, it can be very pricey and, and with that amount of loss and the follow-up for counseling, that can be exponentially large, especially on a, on a community basis. And I just was hoping that to have some monies raised to actually assist those actually facing later down the line with symptoms of PTSD, or and that'll be directed by the leadership or whoever is appointed for the mo monitoring of the funds. And I'm so grateful. I'm seeing funding from all over the world, uh, from Ireland, United Kingdom. Uh, it's just not a Canadian issue. And this is how people feel when they donate. It's, a, it's also helping them grieve. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted so, to ask you about that. I mean, I'm reading these notes and, um, you know, uh, you know, Ruth says, God bless, you know, the, the James Smith Cree Nation. Uh, Lionel says, very best wishes from the U.K., uh, you know, Peter says, take care, take care, heal well in time from Scotland. Betty made a donation of $15, sending love and light from Wales. Robert from Ireland, like you said, I mean, what does that say to you? I mean, th th this is a story that, I mean, it's it's a horrific tragedy, obviously, uh, but it's moving people to, to contribute to this fund uh, from all around the world. Does it surprise you? Yeah, it does. I it's not just now with technology. It's just not a small community issue. It's now a global issue. Mm. You've had the queen come out and give her condolences. You've had the Prince William come out 
and give his condolences to the community. And everyone's feeling the pain. Everyone doesn't understand, they want to understand, but it's their way of providing some type of comfort or being sympathetic at, that, at this very moment and what the challenges that the community is facing. Rob, I want to thank you so much for making yourself available to us this morning. I know you're not doing many interviews, uh, and I know that everybody is, is certainly uh, looking for a way, an outlet, if you will, uh, that, that they can express their grief or that they can do something uh, to try to perhaps ease the burden the tiniest little bit. We know the pain won't go away anytime soon, but I think that this fundraiser gives people an opportunity to feel like they're contributing, and I'm grateful for that. As mentioned, uh, every time I hit refresh on this screen, it seems to be up another couple of thousand dollars. Uh, you'll likely hit your $100,000 goal within the next hour, I suspect, or or at least by noon today. I'm grateful that you've made time to speak with us. Thanks for your service in politics and policing, and thanks for joining us on Real Talk. Thank you, Ryan. Take care. That's a former conservative MP out of Saskatchewan, former sergeant with the RCMP, Rob Clark. Uh, I know that people are curious to see the uh, GoFundMe link. We've got it posted now in our uh, chat link if you're watching the live chat on YouTube. And, of course, if you're listening to this on the podcast or watching YouTube uh, later in the day, it'll also be in this episode description so you can find it nice and easy. And, of course, we'll follow up with Rob in weeks or months to come as this story continues to, of course, uh, leave an imprint uh, on Canadians across the country, Indigenous people in Canada as well. Obviously, this is something that uh, it goes without saying that the magnitude uh, of this tragedy is something that resonates uh, across provincial borders and obviously across international borders as well. Charles Adler will join us in just a moment uh, to share his perspective on this. People have looked to Chuck for decades to try to make sense of uh, joyous stories and of tragic ones as well. And and I suspect that he'll have uh, something meaningful to contribute to this conversation at a time where, quite frankly, most people don't know what to say. Uh, and that includes me as well. In just a moment, Charles Adler. But first, our friends at Apex Automation want to remind you that they are always hiring Literally, they're looking for Canada's best engineers. And if you go to their homepage at apexautomation.ca, you can check out the careers link where they post the jobs that are currently available. You can look for the open positions. Right now, it's a senior systems integrator. But of course, they're always accepting applications for people that would like to work in engineering, fabrication, automation. Perhaps you're an engineer that's already working, but you just don't feel fulfilled your current job you don't feel like you're reaching your maximum potential and maybe not even helping out your clients as much as you'd like as well if you're down with the mantra of giving people back their time that's what apex is built on you can check out apexautomation.ca today your first step of your new career could be right now our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that at landscapeedmonton.ca, you can check out their portfolio and better understand what they might be able to do to bring your outdoor space to life. It is not too late to get that excavation project done. Maybe you want to run a natural gas line out to your garage, put in a thermostat, a little natural gas heater, huh? so you don't have to have your vehicle idling for 20 minutes every morning hurting the planet and costing you big time bucks. 
Eden Landscaping does it all, from the cosmetic all the way through to the practical stuff. Maybe it's a repair of your retaining wall. Why not get the ball rolling on a project for early next spring? You can check out their services today at landscapeedmonton.ca. And our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge want to remind you they have the best selection in the province, bar none, of Ram 1500 trucks, including the Ram Classic. They've got the 2022 Dodge Durango in stock as well, and great specials up to $5,500 in total discounts on the 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee as well. Why is the selection so great? Well, number one, great relationships, and number two, sister dealerships in St. Albert and Sherwood Park so they can share their inventory to find you your perfect ride. You can browse St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge today online by visiting the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Well, my good pal Charles Adler, an Emmy Award-winning and RTDNA Lifetime Achievement Award-winning talk host, joins us. Our first episode of the week, obviously on Mondays, but with the long weekend, he's agreed to join us Tuesday. And we're much appreciative, Charles, quite frankly, because I wanted to connect with you on a story that I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. And I know I'm not alone on this. This tragedy out of James Smith Cree Nation and nearby Weldon, Saskatchewan. The police manhunt continues. As we say, this is a story that's developing, continuing to unfold. Same question I asked Rob Clark out of the gates. Where's your head and your heart at this morning? My uh, head and heart are in Hungary. And uh, as uh, crazy as that may sound, uh, let me just uh, tell you why. Uh, Often uh, you and and people who support you talk about how what you really appreciate when we come on is my personalizing of some of these segments. So let's just start with, this is not about me, okay? This is about a First Nation that is hostage to history. That's what this is about. I'm not gonna get into the parole board and, and all of that. Other other hosts can, can wail on that all day long. Uh, here's what they can't wail on. They can't wail on my personal history. A young Métis journalist based in Edmonton, much of her family here in Manitoba, Danny Parody, her name, she was uh, following me on, on Twitter, as I'm privileged to say many people do across the country more and more every moment, at Charles Adler, if you're looking for me on Twitter, as Danny was. And Danny noticed that here was this white guy known as a conservative talk show host admitting that he was indeed a settler. Mm. And many people, whether they're conservative or not, really, they they, they don't hate me, but they they, they load this idea that I've gone woke because I admit that I'm a settler. I bought land in this country and many provinces. I own land in, in several provinces. And I fully admit that the land I purchased, and I purchased it with hard-earned dollars, honest dollars, all the rest of it, okay? But I purchased stolen land. I cannot deny history. And so it takes me to Hungary. I often talk about my pride and my heritage, my grandparents who were murdered in Auschwitz and many of my my ancestors, well, before they were all murdered, their land, their precious land that had been in the family for many generations, land on which they farmed, land on which they built a little general store, uh, which was much more than a general store in that community. They became pillars in that store and the people working at the store and the customers all became pillars in an institution called, and I'll just uh, you say it in English, uh, the Adler 
general store in that little Hungarian village. So there's very little in my heritage that doesn't revolve around that little store. Hmm. That little store and the land that it was on was stolen and it was never returned. And I've returned to Hungary a couple of times. It's my ancestral homeland. And people ask me if I've ever returned to that particular village where my father was born on the second floor of that store, that little piece of property. And I say never, I've never gone back there because I've grown up with people who suffered so much. It all started with the seizing of their property by authoritarians. It doesn't matter whether your property has been seized by people who were people in this country before it became Canada. It doesn't matter if it was seized by, by Hungarians and, and Germans and, and what have you in the name of some cause, it doesn't matter. Stolen property, stolen heritage property is stolen property. And I don't return because I don't wish to see a piece of land that was stolen from my family. And I don't wish to sit there and, and blame the people who purchased that stolen property. I just don't want to get into it. My family has had enough PTSD and some would argue that I've got some of that as well, because as we all know by now, in those of us who study the residential school system, we find a lot about trauma. We find out about how trauma passes through generations. And I realize there are bigots and others who just choose to be ignorant and don't believe that. I will swear on a stack of Bibles of every religion in this world that that is absolutely true. Trauma is intergenerational. And so what does Hungary have to do with all of this? It has to do with PTSD. It has to do with the people who know that their land was stolen. There's no amount of money you can give. There's no government policy that you can create. There's nothing that can assuage that. But the least we can do, the least we can do as Canadians, helping our fellow Canadians in this tragic situation, is give them the best possible mental health treatment. Mm. And the most positive aspect of the conversation that you just had with the former MP and the former police officer, and it was one of the most candid conversations on this subject, and that's why I frankly love you as I would my own son. In fact, oftentimes I, I call you my son. I'm just so proud of so much of what you do, including what you just did with that police officer. The part of the conversation where the police officer is surprised that even the queen and people around the world are giving what they can, being generous with this particular nation. And it is a nation. And for people who don't want to call it a nation or don't want to acknowledge that, shame on you. Mm. I appreciate those comments, Charles. It's you, you, you could you could feel it in, in Rob Clark's comments, couldn't you? I mean, his his experience as a police officer. I was so, I was so grateful for his candor and his openness in discussing his PTSD and the emotional and mental impacts of, of, of the policing that is occurring as we speak, the healthcare professionals that attempted to and did treat uh, many of the victims of these stabbings. Uh, you know, you, you talk about even the triggering impacts of, of, of certain things. And I, I was reading on Twitter over the weekend, one healthcare professional in a hospital in Saskatoon saying hearing, uh, and she was working in pediatrics. She wasn't even associated uh, with the the, the, uh, the helicopters, the, the meta flights that were coming in, the ambulances that were screaming in from 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 James Smith Cree Nation and from Weldon, Saskatchewan as well, but saying that the last time that they had heard code orange coming through the speakers had been that Broncos bus crash and the impact on all of this, not to mention the communities 
Uh, I mean, we're, we're hearing stories of these people, these stabbing victims, at least several of them who were killed running or rushing to the assistance of others. They had heard that there was an emergency and they showed up to do what they could because it was their community and their community members. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, many of these community members uh, in granting interviews to reporters saying there's an epidemic of drug and alcohol abuse. It has infiltrated our community. Uh, and it's having an impact uh, in, in many circumstances that, that people don't know how to address. Uh, I talked about the fact that at least one of the murder victims was an addictions counselor herself. I mean, you know, we've, we've had moments, uh, striking moments on this show where people have stated that really nothing's going to happen about anything until somebody gets killed. Uh, whether we're talking about public safety, whether we're talking about gun laws, whether we're talking about traffic laws, well... Here's another example of how, and again, we don't know what motivated these two killers, but the comments from these community members are resonating with me, and, and they demand this nation's attention. And I think a lot of people this week are going to be asking, what does that mean for me? What does that mean in my own sphere of influence? What would you say to those people? One of the things I want to say to many, many talk show hosts and others in the media who uh, watch us and, and listen to us all the time, I want to please ask those talk show hosts who just tend to mail it in. They may not know that they're mailing it in, but they're mailing it in when they take the calls and they're going to get the calls today and they're going to get the calls tomorrow and the next day from a whole bunch of people who say, we shouldn't be discussing any of these root causes. We should just be discussing personal responsibility. It's two people who are responsible. It's just those two people. So I'm not asking a talk show host to say to that kind of listener, and there are hundreds of thousands of them. It's not about a handful. Hundreds of thousands of them who share that view. I'm not asking you to say to the listener, go fuck your hat. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm simply asking you to please, when you listen to that, understand that that is accomplishing absolutely nothing. Mm. And if you study this issue and you come to the conclusion that only two people are responsible for what happened, I politely and respectfully ask you as a journalist, as a talk show host, as a producer, to please leave the business. The door is over there. Mm. You're accomplishing absolutely nothing by enabling that kind of talk. This is not about personal responsibility. This is about national responsibility. This is about our responsibility. Canada is a, a, an enormous amalgamation of beautiful communities, and some of them have ugly problems. And it does not help us to help solve those ugly problems by going to cliches like, only two people are responsible. Let's talk about personal responsibility. I've heard that thousand, Ryan, when you were doing talk, open line talk, mm. is that not what you would hear every single time we had a tragedy like this? And this has nothing to do with indigenous folks. This is just a human condition. How often did you hear people trying to shut down the conversation by saying, Mr. Jasperson, it's personal responsibility. That's all we should be talking about. Yeah, personal responsibility and choices. And I think it's just it indicates just a gross misunderstanding uh, or a lack of depth of understanding, uh, maybe, maybe just a gross naivety around the issues at play here. And uh, I mean, there will be, I'm sure, some contributing factors here that will be somewhat personal with regards to these two brothers, Miles and Damian Sanderson. Uh, police still at 
the time that we're recording this interview, looking for Miles Sanderson, Damian Sanderson discovered dead, uh, not from self-inflicted wounds, police have noted, which which adds a layer uh, of intrigue to, to this entire thing. But the bigger issues uh, here are undeniable. I mean, Charles, I even saw people, I don't even know if we want to really get into this. I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. Uh, but I saw kind of the pro-gun crowd coming out over the weekend as well, talking about, well, maybe now it's time we ban knives, better ban knives. It's, and I just sort of thought it's, it's such a disingenuous take uh, on a story that, that demands our full attention. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, people, uh, political hustlers, they will uh, they will jump on this. And by the way, uh, when I say it's not just about personal, I'm not trying to cut slack sure. to the two individuals. They shouldn't have been out, obviously. I mean, it's got nothing, nothing to do with the nation, Indigenous issues, nothing. I mean, anyone who's got that much of a, a track record for, you name it, anyone who's 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 that much of a threat to society including especially their own society their own community just as the drugs shouldn't be there they shouldn't have been there so this is not chuck turning into super wimp i'm just trying to make sure that all of us are as empathetic as possible to the people living in that community and not lose the empathy because we're into following a certain agenda or just wanting to lean on on cliches like personal responsibility. I just think that we owe it to ourselves as intelligent, informed, enlightened, and yes, empathetic Canadians to just be honest about it. This feels like a hard swerve to change the subject, Uh, but every time you're on, we want to talk to you about items in the news. Uh, Everybody around the world is going to be curious to get to know Britain's new prime minister a little bit better. Uh, it's it's an unfamiliar name to a lot of people. She was named foreign secretary just a year ago. She's relatively young. Uh, Liz Truss uh, met with the Queen, and, and and as we speak, as a matter of fact, she's delivering her first speech from 10 Downing Street to her fellow Britons. Um, she served as Secretary of State for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs previously. This speech several years old, but it gives some insight into her personality and what makes her tick. Uh, for a lot of people, this was their first look at Liz Truss. When it comes to British food and drink, we have never had it so good. But as well as exporting our fantastic food abroad, I want to see us eating more British food here in Britain. At the moment, we import two-thirds of all of our apples. We import nine-tenths of all of our pears. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. (laughs) From the apples that dropped on Isaac Newton's head to the orchards of nursery rhymes, this fruit has always been part of Britain. It's been part of our country. I want our children to grow up knowing the taste of a British apple, of Cornish sardines, of Herefordshire pears, of Norfolk turkey, of Melton Mowbray pork pies, and of course, of black pudding. Under a Conservative government, Britain will lead the world 
in food, farming, and the environment. There she was a while ago. <laughs> I mean, that, was, that was several years ago when she was Secretary of State for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs. She's got a tall order now to figure out cost of living, energy, security, yeah. and, and the like. <laughs> what do you know about Liz Truss? Well, I, I know this. Uh, there are 465 uh, MPs in the British House. So I, 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 to, to be fair, I was talking about earlier about being fair, uh, they, they, can't, they physically, mathematically cannot be any more than 464 members of parliament with more talent than Liz Truss. I mean, some, some people think this is a conspiracy to get Boris Johnson back because as much as people uh, savaged uh, Boris Johnson uh, for all his infamous uh, scandals, not to mention the fact that he was a, a pathological and serial liar, uh, nobody accused Boris Johnson of being daft. Uh, Liz Truss comes across that way. I'm not saying that her you know, na native intellect, as it were, uh, not saying that she's got an IQ problem. I'm just saying that she comes across because of what she does. I, I don't know whether there was someone in that prompter that she was reading saying smile every 30 seconds, and she did that, you know, political smile. But, but the business about, um, about the apples and how Britain has to be an exporter and, and uh, the, the idea that the British are drinking tea that isn't made in Britain. I mean, I'm sorry. This doesn't cut it. When I was looking at that, all I was thinking about was the Queen, this 96-year-old monarch who is sharp as a tack, okay, who never comes across as daft, who isn't daft. And I was thinking, you know, Liz Truss is about to visit with the Queen, and she did visit with her today. And I thought to myself, if Liz Truss visits with the Queen and acts as phony and daft, as she did in that particular speech, the queen is going to be tempted to feed her to the corgis. <laughs> you know what's fascinating about this? Uh, and the same thing's about to happen in our home province of Alberta, uh, as what just happened in the UK, is the new leader, it'll be our premier, it was their PM. Uh, Liz Truss yeah. was selected by half a percent yeah. of adult Britons. 0.5% of adult Britons made the call on the next PM. She doesn't have to call an election for the next two years. That's wild. Yeah. I can't remember the exact uh, quote from Winston uh, Churchill when he talked about the Battle of Britain, and I think it was something like "never have few, ha never have so few." Correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. I know you're a fan of Churchill. Uh, never have so few done so much for so many. Mm. Is that basically the quote? It's basically the quote. Right. So you look, you look at something like Listris, Listras, and she was elected by half a percent of, of Brits, and you've got to, you know, sort of take Churchill and uh, do something weird with it and come up with something like and, I, and I, you know if anyone wants to add to this amend it make it better but really uh, half a percent vote for this and never have so few done so little for not much in the uh speech uh when Winston Churchill was paying tribute to the enormous efforts made by the fighter pilots and bomber crews who established air superiority over England, Chuck. He stated, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few, which is an amazing quote. Wow. Winston Churchill. Let me ask you this before we go. I talked about Alberta's transition, a new premier. Uh, yeah. voting started over the weekend, mail-in ballots, uh, Friday, September 2nd, it started. The deadline will be Monday, October 3rd. 
uh, several weeks from now, and the new Premier of Alberta will be announced on October 6th. Uh, Brian Jean, who has been perceived to be a front runner, despite the fact that he's been all but invisible. Uh, I mean, like I just I've said that several times on here. I've been trying to spot his campaign from anywhere, and they've really been ramping it up over the past few days with these these first of all hilarious posts. Did you know? I don't know if you saw this. Did you know Brian Jean was just a few courses shy of of a master's of environmental? So it was like. What? He was a few courses shy of something? Well, then he didn't. I, I don't understand who's running his social media right now. It's it's comical. Uh, but then there was these ones uh, over the past couple of days. And, I, and I, Chuck, I couldn't help but notice they caught your attention. Uh, two posts on Twitter at Brian Jean AB. Number one, under Brian Jean, under a Brian Jean led government, there will be no lockdowns. He says freedom, no lockdowns, no mandating that places of worship shut down, no mandating who or who cannot be in your car. And then number two, under Brian Jean or a Brian Jean-led government, there will be no mandatory vaccines. Um, and I saw a friend of this show, Kristen Rayworth, tweet, polio for everyone. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this new strategy from Brian Jean now that the votes are starting to come in? This is the home stretch. Well, Winston Churchill never said this about Brian Jean, so I'm not going to you know, uh, torture Winston Churchill quotes now. I'll just, this is just coming from me, okay? Just from Uncle Chuck to my beloved friends, neighbors, family in Alberta. Brian Jean is five bottles short of a six-pack. <laughs> five bottles short. I mean, there, there's nothing in there. This has nothing to do with right-wing, left-wing conservatism, you know, Donald Trump, you know, none of that crap. You know, we need to have vaccines mandated like what we do for rubella and measles, polio, you name it. I don't have the, the full menu right now of what our children need. But our children do not need Brian Jean in the premier's office. Now, look, I believe that, you know, I've taken my shots at Brian Jean and Danielle Smith and others. B both of those individuals in real life are far smarter than they're coming across in the campaign. I don't want anyone to think that, you know, e either of them are, are going to start a war and do all kinds of ridiculous things. But their campaigns are absolutely ridiculous. And if they do just a, a few slivers of what they're claiming that they're pledging to do and promising to do, it will not be a better day for Alberta. But fundamentally, here's the, the largest problem. Albertans, many of them, suffer from a reputation, sometimes deserved, sometimes undeserved, deserved because of what the politicians have done, of, of somehow being backward. You can't spend five minutes in Alberta and feel that you're in the Middle Ages. But for some reason, when you listen to these politicians, that's the impression you get. Ryan, the event, the Pride event in Calgary over the weekend, Calgary yeah. being your, yeah, your yeah. hometown. Huge did, event. Did, did, that, did that give you the impression that, that Calgary is somehow behind, that Calgary's in the Middle Ages, that Calgary's not modern? Please. Yeah, quite the opposite. That was that was the turnout for Calgary's Pride Parade. It was wild. There were tens of the downtown was jammed. Yeah, yeah, but of course, but but Calgary because it's you know in Alberta and it's the biggest city in Alberta has this reputation that it's Danielle Smithville or right. Brian Jeanville or the 19th century or 14th century, well, whatever. I, I'm just saying the, these politicians so distort what Alberta is all about. They are an embarrassment to Alberta. Once again, that's not a woke statement. That's not a liberal statement. That's coming from someone who loves Alberta. They're an embarrassment. 
Hmm. Yeah, we're going to see where this goes. I'm I'm still I'm not I yeah, I've was talking about Daniel Smith as the front runner here and Brian Jean was pulling second. I'm not I'm not convinced that's how this is going to wind up. I I I think there could be a surprise on this one. Um I, I was a little surprised to see Danielle Smith over the weekend release a video. She's she's calling out the lieutenant governor and she's calling out Alberta's premier. She says for meddling in the leadership race, but I was surprised yeah. that she mentioned Travis Taves' name in the video. From a strategic I know we're getting a little yeah. bit nerdy here. Now yeah. I want to talk strategy and the and the subconscious. But Daniel yeah. Smith in her video says Jason Kenny trying to support his hand-picked candidate Travis Taves. And I thought that's pretty remarkable for someone to go on the record and say Jason Kenny's hand-picked candidate is Travis Taves because the longer that this leadership run goes, the more I think many United Conservative members are starting to second guess their initial inclination to kick Kenny out of office. And naming his preferred successor might do more favors for Travis Taves than it does for Danielle Smith. Well, I'll tell you, I never never thought in a million years, I mean, for the last three years, I'm not going to rehash the feud. But for the last three years, I mean, you, you never would have uh, caught me saying that that someday I might miss Jason Kenny. Now, I, I don't mm. think I'd support Jason Kenny for re-election, but I definitely uh, support Jason Kenny over some of the crew that's running uh, for, for his uh, job right now. But, but by the way, Ryan, about this idea that Jason, because every, every minute in Alberta, it's a different conspiracy. What's the evidence, evidence, facts, okay, factual foundation, what's the evidence that Jason Kenny conspired with the handpicked by the feds lieutenant governor to uh, try to dismantle uh, the logic if you can call it that in uh, danielle smith's alberta sovereignty act what's the actual evidence yeah i mean you're asking the wrong guy uh, because i don't have any uh, I did think it was somewhat remarkable that uh, Lieutenant Governor Lacani did chime in on the viability of right. that Sovereignty Act. A lot of people are right. saying that the Lieutenant Governor was a bit out of line on that one. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I have no problem deferring to people who know far more, like Dwayne Bratt and others, who know far more about uh, the Constitution, who say that that, that that was inappropriate. I don't have any problem. I didn't have any problem with what she said, but I get the fact that, you know, she's not supposed to be. I, I, I get all that. Mm. But it seems to me that this whole notion that that Jason Kenny put her up to it, conspired with her, is the Western standard, obviously the standard for journalism around the world. That the, the, the Western standard had a picture, a photo, Jason Kenny with the lieutenant governor. Okay, fine. Why wouldn't the premier be on a bench? with the lieutenant governor attending some sort of event. But the Western Standard turns that picture of Kenny and the lieutenant governor on the bench into Kenny told her to say this about Daniel Smith. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, there's no judge in Alberta, okay? There's no judge in Alberta that if, if that were offered to the judge as evidence, no judge in Alberta would accept that, just as no judge in Alberta is going to do anything but laugh at. Uh, the Alberta Sovereignty Act. But I'm just saying that sometimes you ought to go to, so what's the evidence of the conspiracy? And if anyone is interviewing Danielle Smith, what's the evidence? And if she says a photo of two people on a bench, once again, I mean, you've got to laugh at that because it's it's ridiculous. And Danielle Smith, when she was a journalist, would never have accepted that as evidence. Yeah, well, the standard for what's acceptable proof before politicians (laughs) proclaim, Charles, has perhaps and arguably never been lower. 
You can catch the Titan of Talk weekly right here on Real Talk. For that, we are forever grateful. Charles Adler, it's wonderful to see your face again. Thanks for doing this. You're right. Here it is on Brian Jean's Facebook page. You know he's got 120,000 Facebook followers, by the way? That is no joke. <laughs> Posted on September 2nd. Did you know Brian Jean was a few courses away from a master's in environmental law? Almost made it. Almost made it. Just, just a, just a if, horse's hair away. If we were going to get to know you, John Hicks, a little bit, <laughs> do you know that? What were I... you just a short distance away from achieving in your life? <laughs> I was this close to being a purple belt in karate. Wow, not a boy. Is kidding. purple? <laughs> how far away is purple from from, from white or black? I have no idea. Yeah, me neither. I'm just kidding. I have no idea either. I saw that this weekend too, and I was like, "Oh man, he's going to bring this up." Yeah. Well, because it started getting memed, uh, which could be good or bad, right? You know, we we don't know the strategy behind Mm -hmm. that political posturing, and then there are some ones that are deadly serious. Like there, you know, there's ones. There's one that's like, "Did you know Brian Jean lost his son to disease?" and 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 he did, and that's Mm -hmm. tragic. You know, did you know Brian Jean, you know, served as parliamentary secretary to this? Or did you know that Brian Jean never lost a caucus member when he was leader of the Wild Rose Party? These are true. (laughs) But a few courses away from a master's in environmental law. And that's not even the most ridiculous one. Um, And and maybe I should be a little bit careful in, in mocking this one, but. Oh, man, if I scroll back, I wish I had it in front of me, Johnny. I didn't plan on talking about it, but mm-hmm. it, it, you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. The, the Photoshop of him stepping out of the teepee? Yes. And it's basically like, did you know Brian Jean has a couple of indigenous cousins? It's it's, it's, it's the weirdest my, thing to, to link to, you know? Like, And I was just, and I was trying to stay off my phone over the weekend, and we were, we were uh, you know, do, doing some, playing some golf. And as a matter of fact, I didn't hear about the Saskatchewan tragedy until well after most people did for mm-hmm. that exact reason. We were staying off our phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but when I started checking my texts, I, it was, my phone was just blowing up. Uh, people that were like, have you seen the post about the indigenous cousins? And I was just, I, I took a look at it and I just thought, I don't know who would be giving him the advice that would think that that was a good idea. Any of these posts. It was just a, it was just a very wacky, <laughs> did, did you I don't know. know, I can't find it. It looks like maybe it's been deleted. I don't know, because it was just like, it was not a good look. It was totally ridiculous. So whatever, perhaps, I mean, we hope to speak with Brian Jean before this, uh, you know, and, and all's fair in love and war. Uh, Brian's, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, suspected that he'd probably get teed up for some of these posts, but they've got people talking, so maybe they're working, right? We're talking about his campaign more than we're talking about the others. And this is the point where these ballots are starting to get mailed in. Well, they're, some... not, they're not crossing the T's and dots. Did you notice in that post, like little spelling things, like didn't oh, put man. a capital on indigenous, like there's little things that are like slipping through the cracks. Yeah. As well as these posts being kind of ridiculous this stuff drives me nuts <laughs> absolutely drives me nuts you can let us know what you think about the stuff you're hearing here on the show talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can send us an email every tuesday uh, courtesy of our friends at leading edge physiotherapy we present the leading edge it's an opportunity for us to shine the spotlight on a person or an organization or an invention maybe an innovation that is absolutely changing the game And today, we're proud to feature a company called Thaley. And John, as soon as you heard about Thaley, you let me know immediately. I'm buying a pair. You said, I got to get a pair of these shoes. Immediately. Now, here's the deal with Thaley. Thaley is a company that turns plastic bags into $100 sneakers. 
Yeah, it's a company out of India, and they claim that each pair of shoes contains 10 plastic bags and 12 bottles. I love this. You can check out their website, Thaley.com, and learn about this new fabric that they've created called Thaley Tex. And it looks and feels like leather, but it's made entirely from waste plastic bags without using any additional chemicals or chemical byproducts in the process. This is such a cool endeavor. Plastic bottles used to create a separate fabric for the toe box, the lining, and the laces. Uh, They collect these plastic bags from housing complexes and offices and stores uh, in and around uh, Gurugram, India. And then the bags are are then sanitized and processed into Thaley Tex. And it allows them to reduce carbon emissions by using uh, a certain technology, their Gurugram Waste Management Unit. And then, of course, all of the individuals involved in this are paid fair wages They have access to safe working conditions, and they're provided with housing facilities as well. Now, Thaley was initially developed as a design exercise. This was an assignment by founder Ashe Bave, who was 23 years old at the time. The mission to develop an ethically produced sneaker. They're trying to find a solution to the problem of 100 billion plastic bags used each year. How much does it take to make 100 billion plastic bags, 12 million barrels of oil. It's estimated that this amount of plastic kills over 100,000 marine animals annually. So since its startup, Thales recycled over 40,000 plastic bags, 48,000 discarded plastic bottles into shoes. Their mission statement is don't just do it, do it right. They are doing it right. And for that reason, Thaley is in the spotlight this week on The Leading Edge, presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. By the way, if you have an innovation that you think needs to be featured on The Leading Edge, you can send us a note. We always love to know what's catching your eye and inspiring you. I got to get a pair of those Thaley sneakers. Oh, I'm ordering right away because I'm, I'm looking at them here in the background. I knew that I knew that was possible. I was like, why are we not taking all of this plastic and making, yeah. you know, all these pieces of clothing and attire that we can out of it? Um, I, I, I mentioned it to someone this weekend. And they're like, oh, well, won't the shoes last like they won't last as long? I'm like, how long do sneakers last for you in yeah. general? Like yeah. a year anyways, a uh-huh. year and a half? Who cares, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Our cycle of when it comes to fashion as well. I love in conversations about environmental sustainability and the like. People talk a lot about industry, which we need to. Mm-hmm. People talk a lot about efficiencies within our homes, which we need to. Mm-hmm. Talk about our, our reliance, our so-called car culture, our reliance on vehicles, which is a great focus and an important conversation to have. Mm-hmm. But fashion sustainability is such yeah. a major field these days. And I think more and more people are, are more curious to know where their clothes are coming from and then how they can upcycle or recycle their clothing. People are doing really cool things like clothing swaps and the like mm-hmm. to try to decrease their reliance on new fashion sustainable fashion is uh, you know huge for a lot of people for the reusing reason. is the most important part some yeah. people are like oh well i want things to last longer but like if something lasts 10 years are you gonna wear it for 10 years no fashion changes right the reusing being able to recycle especially sneakers like big thing for me i love you sneakers. are a big sneaker yeah but guy. i want to see when i throw them out that they can be reused or that at least the ones that i'm wearing have come from somewhere else 
that's being, you know, helping you know, out the environment. You know, this, one of, this kid's amazing. One of the ways that, that you have really uh, improved my personal life <laughs> is knowing that your your shoes are always shined, your sneakers <laughs> are always clean. Because I want them to last. I know. I know. And I've heard from many people growing up, especially in the teenage years. I can I can think of everyone from like my grandpa all the way down to girlfriends mm-hmm. that were always like, people will notice your shoes first. Mm-hmm. And you can tell so much about somebody's. <laughs> do you believe that? I believe it. You can yes. tell so much about somebody's personality by their shoes. Yeah, you can tell on OCD. That's what you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, maybe one day I come in here wearing Crocs. You know, yeah. maybe the next day I'll come in wearing dress shoes, wing mm-hmm. tips, and maybe the next day I'll come in wearing flip flops and really, really throw you for a mind bender as you try to figure me out. You've got quite the, uh, yeah, I've got the shoe, a few too many pairs. Yeah, it's a lot of cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these conversations happen uh, because of amazing sponsors like our friends at Park Power, and of course, you know they power our hashtag Real Talk RJ. They have since the very first week of Real Talk. Can you believe it? We're coming up on two years in a couple of months. We're a couple of months away from our two-year anniversary on the show. A Park Power wants to remind you that you can get a better deal on your internet, electricity, and natural gas by bundling those services. But you may have questions. So if you're a current customer of Park Power, sure, you can figure out what do you do if you smell natural gas or how is your bill calculated or, or your internet's not working, what do you do? But like they say, if you're Park Power curious, if you're open to taking your business there and paying less, but you want to know how reliable are the utilities or where does the power come from or what areas do you serve or will the distribution charge be lower if you switch to Park Power, check out their Frequently Asked Questions link today at parkpower.ca. Don't forget the promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill with Park Power. And before we get to this week's edition of Positive Reflections, our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you that the summer blizzard season is soon to end. That means that this will be your last chance over these next couple of days to get your hands on some of these blizzards that I've been going on and on about over the past number of weeks. But then, of course, there's the classics that remain and the Dairy Queen blizzard cake If you've not tried one out yet for your next special occasion, make sure you pick one up. You can order in advance or visit them in store at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And thanks to everybody that showed up for the recent Miracle Treat Day. The Dairy Queens that we partner with raised well over $100,000, bringing their total over the past number of years to more than a million dollars raised for the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. That's thanks to loyal and amazing customers like you, the real talkers that frequent the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Our first episode of every week, uh, typically a Monday, but on a long weekend, it's a Tuesday. Our friends at Kubi Energy give us reason to focus on the positives, to fill our buckets. Some days, like today, we maybe need it more than usual. It's positive reflections. Now, we come up with some of these on our own, and and some of these are submitted. And, of course, this one here from Landon, who took the time to tell us about a parent that was so proud of their daughter, they bought a billboard to let the world know. This is in the great state of New Jersey. When Christine Smalls earned her doctorate, her proud mom 
let it all out. That's right. Kendra Busby telling CBS News that as a single mom raising her family in Camden, New Jersey, often ranked as one of the most dangerous cities in the country. She always wanted the best for her daughter, Christine. She wanted to honor her daughter's achievement with a bold move to celebrate the the adversarial circumstances she had overcome and the dedication that she had shown in her studies. So, you know, she figured she could plan a party or a dinner to mark the occasion, but no, instead... She spent that budget on a giant billboard featuring her daughter's smile and an inspiring message over a busy highway. She bought that billboard for an entire month. It reads, let me reintroduce myself, Dr. Christine Smalls. Look what good came out of Camden. I think that's an absolutely amazing story. And Landon, we're grateful that you shared it with us. And how about this? Ukraine has been battered and beaten, but stands defiantly in the face of Russian aggression over the past number of months. Here's an amazing feel-good story out of Ukraine. This shared by Hannah Lubakova, who's a Belarusian journalist. Have you seen this video of the chimpanzee that escaped from a Ukrainian zoo? So it's wandering through the city of Kharkiv and zoo staff doing everything they can to get that chimp back to the safety of the zoo it's called home so they approached the chimp with caution in a public park and it appeared open to negotiation and then the rain started to fall so zoo officials acting on an intuition brought out a raincoat (laughs) the chimp ran over to have the coat put on Of course, zoo staff, these are the chimps handlers, John, that have been with it for a number of years. The relationship, a special one, as you can see, the big hug. They convinced (laughs) the chimp to return back to the zoo on the seat of the bicycle that it loves. Thanks to Hannah for sharing that. And thanks to everybody who chimed in as well to make sure that it was featured on this week's edition of Positive Reflections. That's one of my favorite things in this feature presented by Kubi Energy every week when we get multiple submissions from people that say, I sure hope I'm going to see this one on Positive Reflections. We know we're making the right call. Whether you see it on Instagram, Twitter, in your personal life, maybe it's the person in front of you or behind you in line somewhere. Maybe it's your next door neighbor. Maybe it's you. We want to hear the stories that are going to fill our buckets you can send them into talk at ryanjesperson.com and don't forget you can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca well of course alberta is not the only province that could see or will see a new premier in the next month quebec the the election is underway we're going to talk to poll analyst and political columnist philippe Fournier coming up on tomorrow's show. We're working on other stories, including continued coverage of the tragedy and the manhunt in Saskatchewan. Later this week, we'll look at racism in healthcare. We're working on a feature on water security. And of course, many other items in the news or not that are catching our attention. We want to know what's resonating with you. Thank you to everybody who subscribes to Real Talk, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. Please tell your friends about interviews you think they need to hear. When you like what we're doing by actually clicking like, when you share that content through your podcast app, when you rate or review what we're doing, it's huge for us. So we're not afraid to ask you to do it. Thanks for showing your support to 
real talk about news, politics, and pop culture. We'll see you again tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 